So we're picking up in this series, All Things. Everyone say All Things. It's been a great series, hasn't it? And uh, I actually wasn't, I wasn't asked to continue the series. I just kind of like quietly just jumped on this bandwagon because it's been, it's been meaning so much to me that, that God's been showing me some stuff. And so uh, we're going to read the scripture for the series and then we're going to jump into it here. Romans chapter 8, 28 says this, and we know, do you know? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And Pastor Donnell's done a really great job of helping us break down the deep thought of all things means all things. And how we say that, but so often we don't actually live what we say or live what we think we know. There's a deeper truth inside us that's hidden and sometimes contradicts what we say with our mouths. And I start, I don't know about you, but I start going down a list of all things, the things that I generally may not associate with the goodness of God or the things that I want to ignore that God can use for, for my benefit or that God can use at all. Because every bad thing that happens, it's like that shouldn't have happened. But God wants to use all things. And so I start going down a list. And one thing that was, that was on my mind, on my heart, I was like, God, you know, I hear all things. So what are the things that I, I don't tend to just accept as all things? And it's correction. I might be the only one in the room, but I heard a lot of mmms. So when I hear correction, my view, my perspective of correction is not one of like, oh yeah, I want me some more of that. It's more of how do I live my life in such a way that no one has to correct me. Not realizing that the correction is a gift from God and it's a part of all things that God wants to use. Uh, I don't want to brag, but I'm pretty much an expert at correction. Let me clarify, at getting corrected. I'm an expert at getting corrected. My life is a series of correction to correction to correction. And there's seasons in my life where I did not want it, but now I'm at a point where I'm, in, I'm learning to embrace all correction, no matter who it comes from. Why? Because whether it comes from God or whether it comes from someone with just a really strong opinion, it's still part of all things. And God could use all things. Amen. So the title of this message is All Things, Even Correction. As I was thinking of the title, I almost put a question mark on there. Even correction? <laughs> but I left it as is because it's true. And, uh, and the focus of this morning is how when you posture yourself to receive correction, you posture yourself for greatness. You really do. And even, I'm sure you guys are excited to wake up this morning, come to church and worship and hear somebody talk about correction. That's typically not the feel-good topic, but I hope whatever negative or bitter or salty taste you have in your mouth when it comes to being corrected, I hope you will get a godly perspective on how that could be a sweet, sweet thing that we should all long for and look for and search out. Amen? In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, it says this, My son... Do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son, he delights. And I'm so glad God chooses to refer to us, to you, as sons and daughters. And we like that part. But how many of you all know that he disciplines and corrects those whom he loves? So, if, if correction is a thing produced from God's love, but we avoid or disregard correction, then we're kind of avoiding and disregarding God's love. 
but he wants to delight in us and he does that through correction. So this sermon has three C's. It's not a, all the C's that I could possibly have thought of, but it's enough for the next 20 something minutes. But this, this sermon has three C's of correction. The challenge of correction, the change of correction, and the cutting of correction. So Father, help us this morning get a godly perspective on correction. Please change any thought in any way in us that is not like yours. Amen. So the challenge of correction, Isaiah 55, verse 8 through 9 says this. This is God talking. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's a great scripture, isn't it? Takes a little pressure off. But correction challenges what you think and what you do. Your thoughts and your ways. You guys hear that? Correction challenges what you think and what you do, your thoughts and your ways. Why is that a challenge? Because we like to think we're right. At least I do. I like my thoughts. I agree with myself. I talked to someone in the back of the room in, in, in between services like, it's hot in here, right? They're like, no, nah, it's cold. I'm like, no, nah, it's hot. Because <laughs> I agree with myself. And, and there's something about when you agree with yourself, we like to know we're right or we think our opinions are right or our views are right. And, and to a degree, that's okay. But whenever something challenges you in that way, it's kind of like you either get ready to fight to, to defend yourself or you're going to deflect and just kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, great, thanks. I'm still thinking the way I'm going to think. <laughs> and how many times do we do that with God when he tries to bring correction to us? Don't you love it when you try, to, when you try real hard to do the right thing? Like you know what the right thing is. At least you have an idea of what the right thing is. And you try hard to do that thing. And you put your all into it. Just to have someone come by, whether you know or don't know, and, and, and correct you in such a way that like that Jenga game, they pull the bottom block under it. all comes tumbling down. It's fun, right? It's fun when someone comes and corrects your life work. It's fun when someone comes and corrects something that you thought was perfect. I showed my notes to my wife last night. I had to make some corrections. And I'm grateful for it because that was, I was like, well, it's the title of the message. So yeah, I got to practice this, right? There was a time when I was, uh, I had just given my life to Jesus. I surrendered to him as Lord of my life. And I was learning what it was meaning to be a disciple for the first time. I had played church for the most part of my freshman year of college. I didn't realize I was playing church until I really met Jesus. And I responded to him as Lord. And that summer, I was living in D.C. with a friend of mine from college. He lived in Fort Washington. And uh, Manny Jones. And his dad would make breakfast on Sunday mornings real, real early. Like early, early in the morning. And uh, it would wake you up. And it was this nice spread. And we're sitting at the table. And he just kind of was like, okay, Richard, why don't you say prayers? Why don't you bless the food? And what he, I don't know if he realized this or not, but I had actually never like officially blessed the food for a whole group of people at a table. I might have said little prayers or, you know, those little rhymes and stuff that you learn, but uh, to myself, anybody, anybody ever get nervous when someone asks you to pray out loud? It's like, we know how to pray and we pray best when we're alone, don't we? Some of you guys on the prayer call on Wednesday mornings and you, it's silent. Why? Because people are praying for someone else to pray on the call. <laughs> God, please let somebody else go. Ding. I ain't saying I'm here. I'm just going to be quiet. I'm just going to listen. 
And that's me. And in those circles, I'm just like, okay, you hear the prayer, prayer, prayer. I'm like, okay, here it comes. You get sweaty. You get nervous. So here, here it comes. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I got this. So we all hold hands. And my, my prayer was more like Corey's exhortation a few minutes ago. God, we, we, we thank you, God, for you are good, God, and you're good all the time, God. And in the beginning, you created the heavens and the earth, God, and you, you so loved the world that you, you gave your son for us, God, that you just, you love us. And I thank you for purpose, and I pray that you would help us live today as your disciples. And I'm preaching and praying and just pulling out any scripture, any church, any Christianese words that I can think of that I've heard from someone. Say, I, don't even, I couldn't tell you verse and chapter. But I'm making up stuff. I'm just like trying to sound spiritual because in my mind, I'm like, I got to pray and I got to do this thing right. And in my mind, I have a right way of doing it. And then I'm trying to sound like somebody else. I, I want this to be the best blessing of the food that anyone has ever heard. I want people to be full before they eat. <laughs> And I pray, and I'm calling down heaven to this dining room table in Fort Washington on Beach Street. And I finished, and I was right. And I said, amen and amen. As if that second amen really helped the situation. And I kind of sat back proud of myself, and I loved this. My little brother Gabe Jones, who still goes to the church today, he was 13 years old. Oh, big-headed, bow-wow-looking. <laughs> I say, it's my brother. We, we have that relationship. And right after I pray, I'm like, okay, I'm not nervous. Like, wow, that was great. I did good. And, and, and little, little Gabe just, great job, Rich. You didn't even bless the food. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I shrunk. I felt so embarrassed. I felt, I was just like, I thought it was good. And it's the word. I didn't even do what they asked me to do. <laughs> And we're laughing, but how many times have we done that in our lives that we're convinced that we're right? And then someone comes along, right or wrong, could he have said it more gently? Yeah. <laughs> could he have pulled me to the side like a mature 13-year-old believer that he was? And I told him this. He said, if he was rich, I wasn't even a Christian at that point. <laughs> it's like before Jesus. Could he have done it better? Yes, but could God still use someone who wasn't even a believer or a disciple at that time to correct me? Yes, and he did. Because even though I was embarrassed and even though I was just like, hey, no, why you got to blow my spot, all this stuff, and people laughing and everything, I've never blessed the food after, or the rest of my life, I've never prayed for food and not blessed it. To this day, I, if I'm home, say anything, Lord, bless, I say it first, Lord, bless this food. And if I say anything else, it's just extra. <laughs> Sometimes I just stop right there. I did what I was supposed to do. We bless this food. Amen. And we're done and we move on. <laughs> I was embarrassed. I was a, a, a freshman in college and my uh, second semester freshman year, uh, I decided that I want to play football. <laughs> never put on a helmet, never put on shoulder pads, never did any of that stuff. And, but something in me was like, I want to play football. And I went to the coach and did everything good. And so I'm in the weight room lifting weights really for the first time in my life. And I'm in there by myself and I, I see what everyone else is lifting. I had these like three 45-pound weights on each side. I'm like, yeah, I got this. You know what I'm saying? I'm stretching my neck and uh, it doesn't move at all. The bar didn't move. Took a couple more weights off. Bar didn't move. Took a couple more weights off. Bar didn't move. I got to the point where there's the bar and two 25-pound weights on there. 
And I'm already embarrassed. Like, oh gosh, man, if I can't get this up, I'm, I'm playing nothing. I'm done. So I get there and I couldn't even lift up the 60, 70 pounds or whatever it was. I was like, this don't seem right. And then the, the strength and conditioning coach came by. He's like, Venegas, what are you doing? I'm like, lifting, well, I'm not lifting weights. I'm trying to lift weights. <laughs> he said, the, the safety latch is still on the bar. The bar ain't going anywhere, Venegas. What are you doing? So he moves the bar, and now you can lift the bar up. See, in that moment, I had no idea what I was doing. You ever do something that you don't know what you're doing, but you're trying to figure it out as you go? But could you imagine if I wasn't open to correction in that moment, I would have been stuck trying to lift something that was impossible. How many of you are trying to lift something that God wants you to lift, and you have the strength to lift it, but because you're not allowing anyone to correct you on how to lift it, you think you're weaker than what you really are. And in fact, sometimes we think correction is a, is, a, is a symptom of weakness. Well, they'll correct me because I'm weak. No, 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 no. Those who can receive correction are really strong. Really strong. That's the challenge of correction. And in both of these examples, I was very embarrassed. The definition of embarrassed, to feel awkward, self-conscious, and ashamed. Anybody ever feel that before? I felt all of that. And we humans tend to avoid moments that make us feel those things, don't we? Adam and Eve sinned in the, in, the, in the book of Genesis. They sinned, and the first thing they did, it said that they felt naked and ashamed. And so they hid. And so what do we do when we feel ashamed of what we're doing or what we're not doing right? We hide, and we hide from correction as well. So if being corrected makes you embarrassed and ashamed, then you avoid correction altogether. And if you avoid correction altogether, you'll be stuck in the shame of your wrong thoughts and your wrong ways. And you stay in a place of never being able to get out because you're not willing to receive something that makes you feel that. And you get stuck. I feel ashamed because I believe something was wrong with me. But the correction was not on me. It was what I was doing or not doing. And I know it might be semantics, but sometimes semantics is what's the difference between believing God's word and not. You see, it's helpful to know exactly what correction is trying to change. So the second point, the change of correction, Isaiah 55, verse 8 through 9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I know it's the same scripture from the first point. Some of y'all are getting ready to correct me right now. Why are you doing both ways? But you got to know what correction aims to change. See, godly correction always leads you to becoming more like him. It's, it's, it's your thoughts becoming like his it's your ways becoming like his. See, when the Bible says that when you surrender yourself to Jesus as Lord, when you are born again, there's a new beginning, your new creation. There's a new spirit within you. God regenerates your spirit. There's newness there. But when you make mistakes or you get corrected after that, you don't have to get born again again. You get baptized one time, but even that baptism is a spiritual thing. It's not a water removing your sins for you. And so if you sin and say, oh, I got to go get baptized again. What do you mean again? Yeah, I messed up this week. 
That's not how it works. But it's very easy. With good intentions, it's easy to correct the essence of a person when you should correct the direction of a person. Let me give you an example. A couple of years ago, our staff was invited to spend the day on a boat or a yacht, a private, you know, I mean, this is like three bedrooms, two bathrooms kind of deal, kitchen, all this stuff. It was amazing. It was great. So I'm not sure what it's called, but it's a really big boat. And there was a captain of the boat. He owned it. He did all that stuff. And I couldn't find a, a staff picture, but I did find this one picture on my phone. <laughs> so this is Corey here. <laughs> so whenever, whenever you can insert a picture of Corey in your message, it gets 10% better. But say all things. Yeah, even, even his sunglasses. So, <laughs> but we're on this boat. And, and, and the captain of the boat... Uh, the captain of the boat says, does anyone want to steer? And Pastor Marianne was in the, steer, is in the seat before he even finished his sentence. She was buckling up. She was just ready to go. And everybody was like, oh, we, is this, should, we, should we put our life vest on? What's going on? But he began to say this. He said, he said you can look down ahead. And he gave us some point of references, some trees and different buoys. He said, stay to here, do this, do that. He's like, but even when those things fail, or you lose sight of if it was rainy, or if it was dark. He started to explain, which none of us really understood, but he just said, all these computers and screens and instruments and all these things will help you see exactly where you're going so that when you get off track, you can course correct. And I was thinking about that this week, about how it's not you that needs to change, but your thoughts and your ways. You guys hear what I'm saying? So it is you. But it's not you in the essence of who you are that God has created. You are fearfully and wonderfully made already. But your thoughts and your actions aren't. Your thoughts and your actions are jacked up. How do I know? Because I know my thoughts and actions are messed up. And so I can receive correction without feeling like my identity or, my, or who I am of God's son is, needs to change. So if the boat is getting off course, he says you just change the direction. You guys know anything about trajectory? Is that if you kind of just turn just a little bit, it doesn't seem like a lot in the moment. But, it, but if you continue to go without correction, one year, two years, 10 years, you'll look back and say, how did I get here? I think sometimes we wonder like, how did I wind up in this place in life? And we don't realize that it was a small decision that was made months or weeks or years ago that was like, man, I, I missed it. But God can help you get back on track. But if a boat is, is going the wrong direction, you don't get a new boat. You just change the direction of the boat. You have to know what the change of correction is. So many times we avoid correction because we don't want to, it's like we're nervous or afraid or like we feel unworthy. I know for me, I would always think that something was wrong with me. And so I didn't want someone to tell me what was wrong with me because I wanted to, you know, ignore that. I knew it, but I didn't want to hear it. <clears throat> so when God changes your thoughts and your ways, we can receive that knowing that it doesn't have to change in essence who we are. And I love this. You don't have to put up your defenses when correction comes your way. Unless you want to be shipwrecked, unless you want to wind up deserted on an island by yourself, looking like Gilligan. And for all you people under 35, that's a funny joke, I promise you. You just don't get it. And in fact, he was telling us about this technology that even lets you see in the dark. 
It lets you see how deep the water is. He said, even if it's pitch black, it can tell you when you're getting off course. And I was thinking about that scripture we read a couple weeks ago, Psalm 23. Even though I walk to the valley, the shadow of death or the shadow of darkness, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You can receive comfort even in the darkest places of your life. Why? Because that rod and staff is God's correction and his correction should bring comfort in the light, not the opposite. But see, what the problem is, is that when you've been corrected incorrectly, it can cause an unhealthy reaction to all correction. And it's subtle, but don't underestimate the influence of the interactions in your youth, or any age for that matter. When I was in first grade, there was a teacher who incorrectly corrected me. I was every, every day at a certain time, I would go to another math class because I was in an advanced math. And so I would, I would, she would tell me, pull out your bag of your, you know, your, your crayons and your pens and pencils or whatever, and pull it out. She said, uh, she said, Richard, go ahead and get ready to go. I said, okay. And she says, oh, before you leave, we have, we have to take a, a quick spelling test. And the spelling tests were five words, and they were all colors that morning. And so I took the test, and I got them all right. But the teacher came by, and she saw the bag that she told me to pull out and put on the desk, which had crayons in it, and the bag was transparent. And so she assumed that I was cheating. And I didn't realize how much that impacted me until I was thinking about it this past week, to be honest with you. But there was so much, she's like, you're cheating. I'm like, no, I'm not. Like, what you, I mean, I'm first grade. Like, cheating is not like, what? I mean, I might put my booger on my desk, but I ain't going to cheat. I don't care if I fail. <laughs> so she says, okay. So she erased number three, which was the word orange. And she's like, spell orange. And you can actually still see the word orange there. <laughs> but I spelled it wrong. I was so nervous. I was just shooken up. And I spelled it wrong. And to her, she, her, her thought was validated. In me, I was destroyed. She's like, see, you did cheat. And I'm like, ugh. And I remember leaving that room and I was supposed to go to my math class. My mom was, was working at the school at the time. I ran straight to her room and I was crying. I mean, she was ready to go punch that teacher in the mouth. She didn't always know Jesus. She <laughs> fisticuffs at the ready. She was ready. But, 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 I, but I know this. That, that impacted me so much that a couple weeks later, we're going through our vocabulary, and she would sit down with us and have us read words, and I was getting every word right. Boom, 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 boom. And then we got to the word tongue. And I had never seen that word before, like never, never in written form. And I was like, oh, I got this. Tongue-goo. She's like, no, it's, she started explaining why it's silent and why this. I'm like, no, but ton, goo, see? And she kept trying to correct me, but I wasn't in a place of receptivity to receive that correction. Even though she was right, I was still wounded from being incorrectly corrected before. I went home and tried to show my mom. And once she showed me it was word tongue, I was like, oh, okay, now I believe her. But how many times have you been wounded or hurt by somebody incorrectly correcting you that it messes up all correction? And now you find our, we find ourselves in a predicament where we need healing. And we need God to restore that. And we need to be at a place where we can receive correction even when it's wrong. But still be humble enough to say, okay, well, I don't agree with that. But Lord, how can you use this as part of all things to benefit me and to help me? And I don't have to tell that person, nah, you ain't right. I didn't run that red light. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. 
You could just, in confidence, be like, I'll take that. How can this help me? Last point, the cutting of correction. <clears throat> John 15 says this, verse 1 and 2. This is Jesus talking. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. The cutting of correction. I heard this years ago. You're pruned if you do, and you're pruned if you don't. The truth of the matter is you're going to get cut on in this world. Are you going to run towards the cutting, or are you going to run away from the cutting? I, have an, I want to show you something here. This paper is an illustration. This, is, this, is, this paper is your life. It's a blank sheet of paper, like the blanks there half of you are giving me right now. And just like life, there are things that are uncomfortable that happen and you. Your life looks nice and neat and you want it to be simple, but things happen that cause you to kind of fold over yourself. And we get wrinkled and we get creases and there's pressure applied to us. And that's just how life is. And by the time you get to your age, it's kind of like you have a history of things. But I love this, is that when this paper is folded a certain way, and I'm not sure what shape this is. A bunch of triangles or whatever. I don't know. You can correct me later. <laughs> but the cutting of correction looks like this. This is your life. And it is what it is. Until Jesus comes. And when you surrender your life and you get born again, there's, a, there's an initial cutting that happens, right? It's a cutting off of your sin. It's a cutting off of the penalty of that sin. It's a cutting off of the old you. And this is a good one that we all embrace. Like, yes, God, change me. I want to start over, God. I want to be brand new. And then guess what he does? I got you. And we enjoy that cut. But there's this thing called pruning that happens. And not everybody likes the pruning. Ooh. Ouch. And then there's, there's, there's things that happen in life where it's like tragedy, pain, crying, hurt, bankruptcy, failing out of school. And it's, it's easy to sing the song on Sunday morning, but when, when life is pruning at you, whether it's from God pruning or God allowing something to prune you that didn't originate from him, but it's something that's like, man, this can't be God. But God is using all things. And it's easy to, to sing the song on Sunday morning, but when life is cutting up on you, it's all things are working for my good. Ugh. He's intentional. <laughs> Never fail. Oh. And when he cuts something off that you want, it's even harder. Because like I wanted that thing. God, why, why, why is everything else getting cut up? But the one thing I want is there. But it's the cutting of correction that when you posture yourself for correction, you posture yourself for greatness. And I, I cut this last night because it was impossible to do this here live. <laughs> but this is what our lives look like. It's folded and, it's, and there's jagged edges. We got some sharp edges on us that when people come close, they might get cut themselves. We have holes missing in our lives. We got gaps. We got pain. We got hurt. We got all those things. 
and we don't, we sing and we want to believe and have faith that all things work together, but how is that going to happen, God? It's like, I got faith, but we don't, we don't, we don't know the end game. And when you don't know what the end game is, you don't understand the sacrifices that are happening in the moment. And it's confusing. And in, that, in those times like this, we just kind of, God, you ain't working nothing out for my good. And we'll walk away slowly and quietly. No confrontation. You just stop coming to church. You stop reading your Bible. You stop praying. And you avoid the, the tension of what it is to embrace the cutting. But if you sit still long enough, if you trust in God and allow the pruning from him or anywhere else, that when your life begins to unfold before you, you can look back and see that God did something beautiful from the ashes. He did something beautiful from the pain. He made something great, something amazing that he didn't, he didn't send all those bad things to happen, but God is so great that he can take all the bad ingredients in the world and produce something that, that's so beautiful, so amazing that you can't take credit for it because you could have done this on your own. All things, even correction. And if we could embrace that, what are the other things that you got to lean into embrace that are part of all things? See, we see stuff like this in people's lives and we say, I want that. But what we don't want is what it took to get there. I want a miracle, God, but I don't want to be in a situation where I need a miracle, God. I want everything I need and more. Not enough time. You guys hear what I'm saying? Will you run from the cutting of correction or towards the cutting of correction? So in closing, <laughs> I want to look at two scriptures real quick. And this is a bookend, really, of Jesus first meeting his disciples and correction was present. And then the second scripture is, is a point uh, towards his last days with his disciples in, in the flesh. Um, and there was correction there as well. And there's some similarities I want to point out. In Luke chapter 5, verse 4 through 7, it says, When he had finished speaking, Jesus, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so. I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. We want that. In John 21, verse 3 through 6, in a similar situation, I'm going out to fish. By the way, Peter and his friends, some of his brothers were professional fishermen. Simon Peter told them and said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So maybe they weren't that good of fishermen. Maybe that's why they followed Jesus. But early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large 
number of fish. <clears throat> Both times they were out all night and caught nothing. You ever work hard or pull an all-nighter and you still didn't get what your own strength, what you thought your own strength could produce? Both times Jesus corrected them and helped them become more fruitful or more fishful. Because <laughs> that's what pruning does, right? Makes us more fruitful. The first time, well, I'll say this. Which one is harder? Going out and, and going back into the water and throwing those nets out again, which is the first correction, or the second correction when they're already out there and it's just a small adjustment? May I submit to you it was the small adjustment. Why? Because he says, have you caught any fish? They said, no. He said, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat. Friend. <laughs> and my response is, I don't know you. <laughs> hey, bro. If there's no fish on this side of the boat, why would there be fish on this side of the boat? It's one thing if you told me to go deeper, to go to a different lake, to go out further or whatever. But, but dude, do you understand? I know I'm right. I'm a fisherman. I do this, even though I didn't catch no fish tonight. But going from one side of the boat just to the other side sounds simple enough, but how many times do we brush off those insignificant corrections that are so small that we think they weren't really going to matter to us or change the outcome of what we just did? How when someone comes to you and say, have you thought of doing this? And you're like, have I thought of doing this? Of course I thought of doing that. But no, I didn't do it. <laughs> I just thought of it. I didn't think it would make a difference. The first time, the first correction we talked about, they called him master and said, but because you say so. See, the first time Jesus was actually preaching in their boat, he said, push it out a little bit, let me preach. So they got to hear him preaching. They probably knew who he was. He was just starting his ministry. Oh, wow, this is Jesus. This is the guy we're talking about. And they, they knew it so much, they said, master, but because you say so, I'll do it. The second time, and, I didn't, and I've read this, but I didn't recognize it until I read this past week. It just stuck out to me. The second time in the second scripture said this, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Did you, did you, did you catch that? See, it's one thing for, for Jesus to visit you at your house. A glorious angelic visitation of light and splendor and all this stuff. And God says, do this. And you're like, yes, Lord. You have a burning bush moment. Great. Because it's not hard to, 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 to fight against God. Like, God, you're God. You're right. I'll do, what you got. I'll do what you tell me to do. I got you, master. But what about when the correction comes from God, but you don't know it's God? See, Jesus was on the shore, and he says, friend. Remember, he told them, I now call you friends. But it says they didn't realize it was Jesus. How many times have you ignored someone trying to correct you because you didn't realize it was Jesus. It could be someone half your age. Like, what do you know? They might not know anything. But whatever they're saying, God can use to correct you and change your life. It could be someone you hate. Someone you dislike. Somebody who ain't even a Christian can correct you. And it could still be God. But I love this, that the disciples, they didn't realize it was Jesus until after they caught the fish. These men learned the value of correction so much that it didn't matter how, where, 
or who the correction came from. They were open to correction. They were open to all things, even correction. Are you? Will you? I'm done.